probably should have been recording that whole time because there was a lot of <laughs> fun tidbits there. But um, so anyway, today is chapter 37. Uh, it's called Heavenly Father Wants You and Your Family to Heal, A Journey of Generational Healing. So yeah, I'm I, looking at the screen. I think we've all got lots of varied backgrounds, but we're all coming to the same crux of the, the matter, right? That um, Heavenly Father is revealing this pattern of, of generational healing and what that looks like to us in lots of different varied ways and uh, journeys, but yet it's a true principle and it's needed for our time. So I would just like to kind of open it up to, you know, simple testimonies right off the bat of what has this type of learning and study done for you and how have you benefited from it? Um, so just kind of, you know, short little testimonies of that, and then we'll kind of dive into um, some of the, the how-tos and, and things here in this chapter. Um, but anyway, does anybody want to like head off the bat? If not, I'll pass it on. I do. <laughs> All right. So we'll go with Sarah and then Leslie. Okay. So I was thinking about this today. I revisited the um, chapter uh, this morning and I, I remember how much this um, chapter meant to me when I, when I read it, um, because I feel like there is a lot of um, generational issues with how I deal with my kids and, and things like that. And so I was thinking about the first time I read it, I really, I did go to the Lord and I was like, okay, I don't know if I followed, it kind of felt weird to use the, the prayer. And so I don't know if I used it, but I will say that today, as I was listening to it versus reading it, I, there were so, it was so beautiful, Cameron. In fact, you reminded me of like going in the temple and being like baptized for the dead or getting, you know, like the, like it reminded me of like a phrase that is used, um, in a holy place. And, um, so today it hit me a little harder that, um, it's, I may need to use the phrase, um, for a real change in my heart. Um, the one that I'm looking for, you know, like I think anytime we pray to get rid of personal, um, struggles, he, he tries, right? Like there's, um, that opportunity to overcome, but I will say that, um, hearing those words spoken instead of me just reading them was there was a lot of power to it and I thought okay this is something I need to do um and use these words because I think that having a pattern having a phrase or what whatever it is um may finally I may write finally receive the healing that I'm in need of mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. I, I find that a lot with uh, different things like, um, what is it, Carol Tuttle? Or is it the Carol Truman book? I can't remember, but there's lots of scripts in there, right? And I've always been kind of adverse to scripts, but then as uh, a similar experience to, to what Sarah had there of, I experienced one and then I was like, oh, okay. So it's a jumping off place so that I can take that and then 
merge it in with my own teachings that the Lord is giving me and, and kind of create my own um, wording and, and prayers. But there, there's powerful examples for us to, to read from, learn from, and, and grow into and stuff. I, I love that. Um, I think you're thinking of Carol Truman's book, Feelings Buried Alive, Never Die. Yeah, 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 that's the one. And she is LDS. Well, actually, Carol Tuttle is too. Yeah. Yeah, I always get them. <laughs> they need to change their names so I can distinguish them. <laughs> one's with a C and one's with a K. Yeah. Carol, <laughs> Carol Tuttle's book, Remembering Wholeness, was really, really good for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, let's go with Leslie and then Lisa. I kind of didn't want to talk after Sarah shared because that was, I really felt the spirit. Um, <clears throat> I felt, I felt the spirit through nearly the whole um, chapter. And I think that the times when I didn't, maybe it was because of a, a maybe a personal bias or something that I need to work through. Um, because my in my efforts in the past from trying to heal from childhood issues and adult issues, um, you know, spent thousands of dollars and thousands of hours, and um, um, I uh, I've had more healing since doing the book clubs than I have in in all that rest of that time. And so um, I know that there's true principles that are being taught and and discussed here. And it's um, it's glorious. And um, not only am I becoming freed, but I can like I've been able to help my mom who passed away a couple of years ago to um, become free and it's real and it's astonishing and it's glorious and um, and heaven is just thrilled about all of this um, so I'm grateful yeah thank you yeah Lisa so um I may have mentioned this one other time, but um, when I lived, I've been on all kinds of exoduses. So when I lived in California, which was two moves ago, and I call them exoduses because each one of them have had the hand of the Lord in them and have been stages and steps for me. Um, I was seeing a therapist and I said to him, he's not a member of the church. I said to him one day, I'd never heard of it before, but it just, you know, when something comes to you, you just own it. I just owned it. And I said, I know that when I do this healing, I am healing people that came before me and those who come after me. I know that. And he looked at me and he said, you're crazy. <laughs> diagnosed me as crazy <laughs> but I knew I was right it didn't even hurt my feelings it didn't even faze me I respected him so deeply and the tools that he had given me 
And I knew that I could still continue to learn and grow with him, but I also knew that I had discovered something that he hadn't. <laughs> so I just kept it in my heart. And my next um, location was then I was taken to Utah and I was really sheltered in the home of my son in a very precious weight. It was precious to be with him. And during many of the lockdowns, I had an opportunity to continue my healing. Very intuitively, I just, I can't even say how I found these things, because it was one of those things that you're just led to. And I began working with something called meridian tapping. And um, it was very amazing what I discovered about myself. It was like I tapped into a spring of water that was like the Lord. It was just, it was everlasting. It was never exhausted. It was just living water. And I was able to find the words for what my soul was trying to reach for. It was such a powerful experience. I could not have articulated that. I don't even know how I was getting in touch with that. It was so extremely healing that it helped me to step across the chasm that I had created between me and the gospel. And so there was a huge healing of my faith that occurred at that time. And um, so that journey has led me on and encouraged me to feel how important it is for me to take ownership of this gift of knowledge and to commit myself to doing and seeking through the Lord's help what it is that I need to know and do for my ancestors and for myself and those that come after me. And um, I became aware just this month, so this is not historical, this is more current. In fact, just in the last week or so, I became aware of a pattern of my own. It was very easy for me to think it was the person that was triggering me, that it was that person. But I was able through the gift of the spirit to see that where I needed to repent, that I was actually, I found a morsel of hidden resentment and judgment and expectation that the other person be different. And the spirit led me to believe, to know that you cannot uh, change another person. You can only change yourself. And it was such a release from that pattern. It's hard to find words for it, but I realized this is powerful and it is through the savior, only through him that I can find wholeness. And it was, again, that was something that I just owned that. I knew that so strongly. And um, so I prayed. I, I prayed because I thought this is such a strong pattern in me. 
that I may not be able to, to do this in this lifetime. That is how humbled I felt by the, this uh, pattern that was just so repetitive. But I prayed to the Lord that he would help me with this. And um, just within a day or two, I had an opportunity to be faced with that same trigger. And the Lord really came through and showed me in a, such a powerful way that he did want me to heal because I felt like I, I just was hopeful that I could maybe maybe do it in this lifetime, but I would accept if I couldn't. And I was able to handle that situation in such an inspired way. I don't even take credit for it, but I would have been happy just to have felt neutral and not gotten triggered, but the Lord literally poured in his spirit and I had the spirit of the Lord with me. I was able to feel joy and humor and offer that love that comes with joy and the spirit to the other party. It was such a powerful experience and confirmation of his desire for, that all of us, for myself personally, but that all of us do our healing work, that I was amazed because I would have been happy to have just been neutral and, and you know, gone through the experience in neutral gear, but to have had the outpouring of the spirit was such an amazing gift for me that it just literally, it, it was just such a confirmation that I feel like, okay, I can do this. And I have him with me and there's no other way out. And it's the only way that I want to do this is with the Lord. And I feel like with him, I can do anything. <laughs> and I'm not usually that confident about, about those sorts of things. But I do feel very strongly that with his help, that I will be able to continue to heal. And as I heal, I know that I'll be able to help others. And so it's given me great, great hope. And, and it's been a, a very faith uh, building experience for me. And uh, so I just want to thank all of you for being part of this journey. Um, because you all have been. Lisa, what was the tapping source that you used? I don't remember. Um, maybe it's a little bit of a hybrid of my own. I'm kind of like that. I'll take something and then I'll kind of make it my own. <laughs> but if you ever right. want to, um, you know, get more information on how I did it, I'd be, I don't want to take up the time here um, unless everybody would like it, but you can always get my I've used, I've yeah. used tapping in the past and it is a really good source to get out of like anytime I feel anxious or just feelings that don't feel like my own, I, I will tap on my, um, my, um, uh, collarbone and, you know, sometimes my forehead or what, what have you, but I would love more information. If you uh, could drop your email, I would definitely love to reach out to you. All right. I'll, I'll add my email right here. I haven't been doing it as much. And I think that I could, I could benefit from, from what you're saying and and use that along with the atonement 
Thank you. Well, I, I don't know if I never knew that tapping would help you get in contact with your soul. I mean, <laughs> it helps me with anxiousness and feelings in the moment and working through. But I mean, it was unbelievable what happened with me with the tapping. It was really, it was like a miracle happening every morning. I did it every single morning. I, I've tried tapping a couple times and I don't know, I didn't really notice anything or whatever. So I just kind of like, uh, maybe someday I'll revisit that or whatever, but <laughs> obviously now I need to. <laughs> I think we're all on our own journey, but uh, it was so powerful for me. I just, I was floored. I was literally floored. It was like I was getting information from my soul. Mm -hmm. like, you know, if you were in deep meditation and you were getting downloaded with your soul, that was what was happening to me during the tapping. It was just unbelievable. Hmm. Fun. So, um, Tracy, did you still have a comment or? I'm going to hold it for a sec. <laughs> You're good. All right, Alethea. No, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, for a long time, I may have shared this with you guys that I just, um, oh, for years, decades, until a few, until maybe this year, <laughs> I just thought, what was Heavenly Father thinking putting us in families? This is like <laughs> the worst thing ever because we come down here and we get 18 years of baggage. And if we're lucky, we have 80 years to unpack it. And so just within the last couple of months, he's taught me that um, it's the perfect schoolroom. That's how we learn the things that we wanted to learn. But this chapter, what I wanted to bring it to was, um, you know, another part of it. Let's see, where was it? I guess it's about healing your family and that that is, then, you know, you're talking about an Isaiah book club about the Assyrians and how they came in and destroyed families and took everyone apart. And that's how they overcame the countries. And so I've just been thinking about that. And um, if we didn't have families, who would we have to heal? Like we would have no natural affection yeah. towards strangers, right? I mean, we've all got natural affections for each other, but we've been doing this a long time. And and but families you have a natural affection um and so anyways he's just teaching me that i had a false belief <laughs> which i knew i knew heavenly father doesn't do anything imperfectly but i just don't get it you know and um anyway that was all i wanted to say mm -hmm. that's what i learned from this chapter and that's what i learned the lord's been teaching me yeah it's kind of like that that principle of like i can pick on my brother but you know that's totally fine but as soon as somebody else starts picking on my brother no no that that's my territory <laughs> i get to pick on him not you kind of thing. <laughs> for some reason even though we might hate and have deep enmity towards our immediate families there is some natural affection typically i'm not saying in all cases but typically a great deal of affection that is just supernatural. I mean, it's a gift from God and, and it is the perfect classroom to, to be learning and, and growing in. It's weird. But. I just wonder, like, 
really, as I'm, you know, finding out different family members and I get all these hints and everything and people that are alive and, and I'm like, really, we're all related. So why don't we have that natural affection with one another? Right. Yeah. But I don't know. Anyways, it's that family line and going backwards. And it's once you find out someone you're related to, then you have a natural affection, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that, isn't that funny? I was curious. Can I, can I ask a question? Sure. Um, I was curious on, let's see, where was that? Remember when he was talking about the study? Mm-hmm. Um, 461. Oh, that's right, because I was skipping that page. It was stuck to another page. Yes. How the DNA would change, and they took it even, was it 350 miles away? And they showed you emotional thing, and that DNA 350 miles away would still change. Yeah. So it got me thinking about, you know, as we've been studying and learning and growing, obviously it's going to be changing our DNA, right? Is that changing the DNA in our family members also as they have a part of our DNA or we have a part of theirs? I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. You know, we see lots of different concrete things that we can, you know, look towards, you know, like when twins, especially um, that, you know, shared the womb for a long time, or even, you know, mother to child connections, there's, there's something there that people just can't explain. And, you know, when you can't explain it, it must be uh, a God-given trait, right? But that things can happen. There's there's this telepathy, there's a connection, you know, even if you separate them by, by thousands of miles, that we have DNA connections that transcend what our modern science can describe. And yeah, as we start changing, how that affects prior generations and, and future posterity, like it, it's kind of mind blowing. And being able to kind of realize that, experiment in it and learn some of these principles and see the effects as things change is, it's a miracle. I don't, I don't know how else to <laughs> necessarily describe it, but man, it, it's so amazing to to ponder because this you know definitely isn't the thing that you learn about in Sunday school but um once you see it and notice the pattern it's all throughout the scriptures it's been there all along all of these generational healing patterns that have happened and yet we just disregarded it because we just don't even know what to look for or we haven't ever been you know we've never had the the training wheels on uh, in order to to see and experience and and work within it, but but once you do, then it, it it's fun uh, seeing those patterns throughout scriptures and in our actual personal applications. So if it changes your DNA, then that's also another blessing of families, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, turning your hearts of the children to their fathers and fathers to their children. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so fun. Yeah, Lisa. I'm glad that Althea brought that part up. Um, that DNA research, I found that, like you, Cameron, just mind blowing. Mm-hmm. It so makes sense. And I love the question that Althea asked Does as we change, do we change our 
um, those that come after us. And I think we do because I was listening to um, one of my pet projects is always food related. And I was listening to a podcast on healing through food and they were talking about how the food that we eat, right? If, uh, if we're reproductive age, if the, the food that you were eating, you know, even in your teens is affecting your child, your unborn child before you even have a child. In other words, every choice you're making is modifying your DNA in such a way that that is being passed on before you even are having children. So I thought that is so powerful. So it just makes sense that as we modify our DNA epigenetically through lifestyle choices, through gospel-based choices, um, we are affecting the generations ahead of us. And this podcast said that they've even found scientifically that it, they'll find out more, but at this point, they also know that it affects our grandchildren as well. So that what we're doing is affecting each generation. It's, it's just, it is amazing. And I also am going to just speculate. I wonder as we align with Christ and surrender to him and follow in his footsteps. I wonder if our DNA be, becomes more like his, you know, that we step into more of a divine template. Mm -hmm. And, um, and in that sense, that type of healing is part of being recreated, which is what Avraham speaks to a lot that each time we ascend up another level, we are recreated and receive a new name. And I'm thinking that that change is so, you know, in the past, I probably said bone deep, but it's so DNA deep that, that the, the changes are really complete in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to find the, the part somewhere in this chapter. It talks about how many generations it affects. Um. I think it said three or four. Yeah, so like on page 460, up at the top, it, it says um, this quote, the sins of the fathers are visited upon the heads of the children to the third and fourth generation. And, you know, like we have scriptures that say that, but do we actually understand what those mean and then take them literally kind of thing? But um, let's see, it's somewhere in the DNA section. But anyway. Cameron. It, uh -huh. Oh. I was just going to say, there's a book, and I think I've talked to you all about it before, but it's called It Didn't Start With You, and it's more of a science approach uh -huh. on the proof that um, these experiences that our ancestors have experienced can be a part of our DNA, but um, I, in the book, it talks about three to four generations, and I thought that was so fitting because that's what the scriptures say and that's what um even in this book they talked about is it being as far back as four generations but mm -hmm. yeah i i think that there's a lot to it and the thing is once you realize it then you go back to scripture and realize it's been there all along right like i i always keep uh, saying that because i find it every single time but um going back and looking at certain things uh, whether it's curses marks uh, dysfunctions, whatever, they always have it. So even though a righteous person might fix it 
for themselves and try hard to, to do it for their whole family, some of the other lines might have the effects for three or four generations unless everyone, unless a, a full healing can occur kind of a thing. And so, um, but if you perpetuate it, then it's just perpetuating it that many more generations down the line versus um, helping to have it actually stop and take care of all of them. But yeah. uh -huh. I have a, you, you, our minds are linked in this group. That was exactly where my questions were beginning to go is where do covenant curses uh, play into this? Are they the same thing as the dysfunctional pattern? Do they show up in other words as dysfunctional patterns or do, are they something different? And um, is there a way that we can be more like working on trying to help? Well, I'm just really curious where you want to go with that. I don't even know how to how to, quite to ask my question yeah so um i don't know this just pops in my head but um i i don't even know how to what's the word uh, it was a coincidence but it wasn't a coincidence now that i am looking at it but randomly i switched my major back in in college from something over to pre-med for one semester because i watched gray's anatomy and i wanted to to be a brain doctor <laughs> but anyway i for one semester what were the classes that i took they were all about genetics and dominant and recessive alleles and how they're passed down and everything like that and seriously i've put that on a back shelf i've forgotten about it but then all of a sudden like as you're you're talking lisa or whatever all of that rushed back and I'm like, oh, I need to go pull out my textbook again and, and find the divine law upon which it's predicated, right? Like we have science that, that makes advances, but when we put the spiritual side and link it in, then we can find the divine law that everything is predicated on. You know, some things are passed down through a, a maternal line, right? You know, it, 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 sometimes it skips one generation and, and uh, goes down, but we have scientifically found certain patterns of dysfunctions or pains or illnesses or things. And so it's done its best. And now we come in and inject God back into it and see, oh, oh, that kind of a dysfunction does skip every other generation. And um, until you break it, then you're going to keep perpetuating that on. Or this one is, is passed from father to son, father to son, or uh, mother to daughter like there's all of these things that I don't know my, my brain is just going oh my goodness like I know exactly where my textbook is too and I, I need to just go find it <laughs> because there's there's a lot to it that I'd never considered before and I always wondered why the Lord led me down that semester back in college because it, it felt so weird but has a it had a purpose <laughs> that is interesting it would also be um interesting to know as we move through our healing how um I, I just it's it's the covenant curse thing that I'm trying to grapple with you know is are there ways that we can hasten their reversal because I've kind of always thought of intergenerational dysfunctions as being patterns we and 
I've kind of dealt with them my whole life because even when I didn't know what they were called, obviously I was mired by them. And I wrote a lot of poetry, you know, self-exploration around these issues and then to be able to find some language for them in therapy and then to be able to find Abraham. That was such a breakthrough because I go, oh, I am so understanding this now because, you know, there's sins, we repent, we're forgiven, but then the effects of the sin continue. It's like, ah, try to stop that, you know, but how do we do that? But those are the intergenerational iniquities. So I really, really had a big breakthrough moment with with, uh, Abraham's help. But then I always kind of kept the the covenant curses in a separate category. So I'm wondering how to kind of integrate that into our discussion and our body of knowledge as a group and also myself individually on this uh, healing topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something, sure. something I try to do with my kids because I'm very aware of my issues and I try, you know, like occasionally they'll uh, behave in a way that is unbecoming and I'm like, hey, that's, that's my sin. Don't take on my sin. So a lot of times I will kind of jokingly, but seriously be like, Hey, this is something that you, you don't have to take on. Like, this is a problem that I've passed on to you. Please, please reconsider taking this on. And I'm just really frank with them. And and I just tell them like, and and I'm real, like, I, I would love to know how to backtrack to help them so they don't have to, but at the same time, maybe me just being open and, and, calling them out and being like, Hey, this isn't something you want to carry on. You don't like it when I behave like that. So don't behave like, you know, like don't, don't carry this on. This is a choice you can make now that you see that you don't like that in me. Don't take it on as your own. Like this, this is an opportunity for you to say, no, that I'm not interested. And that's, that's what I've done in my own family. My kids are still like somewhat in my home, but at the same time, clearly I have to heal some things before, you know, so that I can stop passing it on. But at the same time, I think helping our children recognize where they've taken things that they don't have to take on, but that's not there. It's not beneficial for them to have that behavior uh, or that care, you know, whatever to, to, to pass on to their family. And I think even just showing them, Hey, you remember how you don't like it when I do this? So why would you do that to your brother or what have you? I love that transparency in your communication uh, with your children. That's beautiful. That's really uh, bringing it, uh, it, it's being very conscious about it and not letting it become subconscious, which is what happens with families. They're communicating in unconscious and subconscious ways. So that's that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, let's go with Amy. Um, sorry, I love these beautiful thoughts. They're so helpful. I it, and it kind of um um reminds me of like how I I it's really become um interesting for me to realize okay so you know go and talking last days stuff and and 
um, prophecies and stuff, how, uh, how much of these things are a result of our iniquity, kind of going along with what Lisa was saying. Um, but it also helps me real, like going along with that, you know, I mean, talking like the plagues and even natural disasters and things are a result of our choices, our covenant breaking. And, um, and it's not, you know, before I kind of had this vision of God's angry, he's sending down the lightning, right? Like it's more just natural consequence. And, and so talking about like that DNA, the, and, and, and just thinking about the, the, the effects that it has on the third and fourth generations. Again, it's not that God is like, you guys are just, you're just going to have to deal with the punishment because your parents sin. No, it's just that natural consequence of it being, you know, yeah, our, our, DNA being um, affected by it. And um, so those covenant curses just kind of, it, I don't know, it's just been mind blowing over this last year or so to really realize like how much of it is just natural consequence that God, because of our agency, has to allow to play out, you know? And, and yes, and, and then his. The beauty of it is him inviting us to him for healing and stuff. But anyways, not that. So just that it changing my image of God of like, he's so, he's so perfect of a parent and merciful and everything, but he has to allow us to experience those natural consequences in all of these things. And, and instead of him sitting on some throne, just shooting out punishment. Anyways, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we kind of punish our own selves, right? Yeah, and sometimes we punish our future generations mm -hmm. because we're myopic in in our scope. And yeah, I, I love that because natural law just has to play out. Agency is always honored, and and we just have to deal with <laughs> with some of those natural divine laws. That was uh, really an interesting insight. Thank you, Amy. I have a quick um, thought um, speaking to the generational things. Uh, the scripture just really brought a new resonance to me when that scripture about Abraham and I think Moses also, but Abraham was perfect in his generations but he reversed covenant curses in his lineage. Maybe that's what it means to be perfect in your generations because he must have changed right down to the DNA because he was able to come from, you know, a very dysfunctional family. And um, he sought, you know, uh, tutelage from Melchizedek and, we don't know what all it entailed, but he was able to overcome, I believe, covenant curses. So there must be things, steps that we can be doing that would hasten the natural process that Amy was speaking to of overcoming those curses. And to borrow a little bit from uh, 
Todd McLaughlin's um, Sisters of Liberty, um, finding ways through temple covenants to reverse entropy, which is the celestial world that we live in, which we are living in, in hell and in death, everything is breaking down to its constituent parts, uh, reversing entropy, reversing all those curses. Death is also a curse that's come upon us. Reversing all that is through Christ. And so that's, you know, part of our journey is learning how to overcome all of that. And I think, you know, Abraham obviously had had the means to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love what, it. What does that look like? Yeah, um, it, I, again, not another coincidence, but I was uh, studying lectures, uh, lecture second on the object of faith at the same time that I was listening to uh, Todd McLaughlin's thing on uh, entropy and, and degeneration and everything. And it was like, I, seriously, they go so hand in hand with each other. At first, I, like years ago when I first read lectures on faith and stuff, I mean, lecture second is kind of the throwaway one, right? Where, oh, it's just all the generations, okay, whatever. <laughs> but then when um, I was reading them at the same time, like everything just unlocked of, oh, oh, Abraham really is the key to understanding generational healing and how that process works. And um, if you have questions or want to know how it works, Lectures on Faith, the Lecture Second is kind of the, the key that helps unlock that. But living the telestial law of entropy, murder to get gain, it's, it's irreversible while you're there. But if you have someone else able to pull you up out of that, and you obey the higher law on the next level of the ladder, then you now can help, I mean, not help, uh, can now start living beyond that murder to get gain uh, telestial level. And anyway, it, everything just starts unlocking and why it's important to have these generational testimonies of, of that. I don't know, that's probably pretty convoluted, but <laughs> anyway. Lecture two and, and his video are hand in hand. That's wonderful. And another part of his thing that was so powerful was about, um, and it just slipped my mind. Okay. It was, it came to me while you were speaking. Mm -hmm. um, if it comes back, I'll. I'm glad I'm not the only one because that happens all the time. <laughs> But yeah, so um, I, I was going along some other line too. Um, so how does this work then? Like what has been your guys' experiences with generational healing? Um, first of all, is it easy or is there a learning curve to it? How, how is it Christ-centered? These are all just questions that I'm throwing out, but like, you know, you take it wherever you want to go. But um, do you find that you work more with the living or the dead? How have you seen your own body heal as you've uh, 
processed through these these different things um and i don't know there's lots of questions that i could probably come up with but just kind of taking a look at, at some of those introspective questions as we are learning this uh i think just powerful testimonies of, of experiences is, is going to be our best um kind of use of time and stuff but yeah lisa did it come back to you <laughs> Yes, it did. It came back. Um, it was on the Todd McLaughlin. I hope that all of us, if we haven't watched it, I've watched it twice and I want to watch it again. Um, I loved the part where he talked about how we are living in such a celestial place surrounded by entropy, the murder. I, you'd have to see it to understand, you know, murder to get gain, but that is truly, I you know, it's like, wow, yeah, that's our world. Wow, that's how it works. That's how people operate here. <laughs> it's just so clear. And um, the way that we transcend that to become, you know, one with Christ is how we transcend because Christ came and offered us a way to be saved from that system. And the, the um, evidence of a true religion is its ability to bring heaven down to earth, not to, you know, live your life in such a way that, oh, I'm going to be in heaven when I die, but to literally be able to pull down the power of heaven and earth, which is our whole faith, which is the return of Zion, the building of Zion, you know, that it's, it's Zion being able to come back to earth for there to be enough people here ready that that will happen and christ his coming will come when the earth is a place where he can come where we have prepared our hearts to become zion and to bring zion down so that we're all able to be together on this earth so that was a, another part that I really loved about reversing entropy. It's all about um, preparing a place in our heart for Zion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, let's see, Amy, is that a new hand or did I forget to lower it? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, I forgot to take it down. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. <laughs> yeah, I sometimes pass it up to forget it. Um, yeah, Shannon. Um, sorry, you're muted. Can you hear me? Yep. yep. Okay. So this is all new to me, the generational healing. But I, so I'm just have a question, not an experience, but so my mom has been emotionally abusive to me my whole life and is still. So would this be something that would like, if I said this prayer or whatever, would this like, open her eyes or change her heart it has the potential yeah. to yes um you know i haven't necessarily um used this script or or anything like that but um i i've read through it a, a few times but an, another <laughs> one is uh todd mclaughlin's first uh thing with sisters of liberty where he talks about how to rend someone's veil of unbelief. Um, 
so if you're experiencing something that is unhealthy or um, you know just specifically in this case what kind of sacrifice can you make in order to rend someone's veil of unbelief it's not about changing their character or uh, making and fixing all the things but there's some sort of dysfunction that's operating within her that is causing and perpetuating a damage and so there is a veil of unbelief and whatever fear-based thing that that uh, is is causing that needs to be uncovered so that she can clearly see it on her own and be able to fix it herself because like for example you, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink kind of a thing so unless they have a change of heart where they actually see the problem and want to change it themselves it's not mm -hmm. like you're um just changing things for them and uh and, and healing, but helping through sacrifice, through the law of sacrifice to rend someone's veil of unbelief so that they can clearly see what is happening and um, casting off all of that, that unbelief kind of a thing. Sometimes it's like evil or unclean spirits that we need to, to cast out through sacrifice, fasting, prayer, and then they'll be like, oh, I didn't realize that I was doing half of the things that were being um, perpetuated there I don't, I don't know if that all makes sense but um it's not about necessarily just giving a pill and and getting a cure but about rending people's veils of unbelief so that they can want to fix themselves does i don't know does anybody else have uh yeah i i feel like that this might be a generational thing for your mother as well it might go back <laughs> other generations past that I, I think so too. Um, I had a thought that she was abused, but she doesn't know she was, but so yeah, I think it's generational. So maybe yeah. she has an unbelief that she was like, she doesn't want to admit she was abused. Yeah. Yeah. Or accept that. But there's definitely some clearing that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So along that line, not that I want to like jump in here and meddle either but um there seems to be satan's counterfeit that is is rearing its head these days as well i mean i i've seen it a lot um just recently um with some of my friends in 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 the utah corridor there's um some different therapists that have been brought to light as far as um jumping on the bandwagon of um ritualistic abuse and uh, the therapy. Anyway, I, I, I don't want to necessarily dive fully into all of that, but the fact that certain things are a repressed memory, but there are Satan's counterfeit. He's working hard to throw all of the truth off kilter. And it seems like, uh, let's see, how do I put this into words? Like the, the Me Too movement, right? You know, there were lots of women that were abused at, at and, but there's also the bandwagon that everybody else was like, oh, well, we want to be a part of the movement too. And so they were making up stories and, and saying that kind of stuff. And so not saying that this is the case in, in any way here, but um, being aware that Satan is trying to counterfeit this true process of repressed memories and generational 
issues and, and healing and stuff. I don't know why, but that just seems to be at the forefront of my mind right now of, because if we mention any of this to anybody, they're going to be like, oh, well, yeah, it's the therapist thing that, that's happening down in, in Utah right now. And, and you're just jumping on that bandwagon versus, okay, no, we know it's a, a clear, true principle that uh, Satan's been working on, but he's coming up with a counter plan to help thwart that as well. I don't know. I think part of his counter plan, kind of going with what you said, is to take things that did happen and perceive them as abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Like my sister thinks she was abused because my mom made us do chores. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody does chores. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And to this day, she doesn't really clean the house because she thinks that she believes people don't really clean their houses and they don't really get dirty. So, <laughs> but yeah. she honestly believes my mom was abusive because she made us do chores, made mm -hmm. her do chores. So I think that's kind of a counterfeit too, is giving us misconceptions or perceiving things in the wrong light mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's what i was trying to get out you said yeah it. that's what i thought no it. <laughs> <laughs> well that's kind of what i got and so i just had an example so i thought that uh-huh yeah, anyway but yeah that generational issue with um emotional physical whatever kind of abuse it was uh, you know those patterns get learned even though you don't necessarily want them or you're wanting to break them uh like for example i mean dad's not on here right like i mean he's he goes from zero to ten as far as the anger scale in like less than two seconds over the littlest little things and i've tried really hard to like overcome that but like there's sometimes like give me uh, uh, <laughs> upwards of 100 degree days out in, in construction and I'm zero to 10 real quick for no reason. Oh, my, my hammer fell out of my tool bag. Well, I'm going to go on a rampage <laughs> kind of a thing. And it's like trying to identify those things and, and, and move on. But, um, but yeah, that abuse is, is real, emotional, physical, sexual, whatever it is, but um, recognizing and and rending people's veils of unbelief so that they genuinely want to fix the problem acknowledge it and fix it versus oh don't tell me i have this issue when you have the beam in your own eye kind of a thing i, I think that that can come back to bite us a lot anyway sorry my my tirades over <laughs> go for it lisa um, i um I'm going to add a little different perspective to um, when there's someone in a situation that is the abuser, there's always the other party as well. And um, having been the other party, you know, we all play different roles in different places, but having been in that role, which would be termed in, you know, our psychological world as being like the victim. Mm -hmm. uh, what really helped me was asking myself one question because I thought, you know, I'm really tired of being, always suffering over this. This has been going on for 20, this particular, you know, one has been going on for 20 years. What would Christ do? What would he do? 
And that really was a helpful thing because it made me realize Christ would not be feeling like a victim, being victimized by this, you know, abusive person. He would not have hurt feelings. He would have the spirit with him and he would have the love that would allow him to understand this other person and how to rent their veil or how to allow, to, even to plant a seed to allow them at some point on their own, because that's the, you can't tell a person they're wrong. They have to take that journey on their own. We're all on the path in different places. So the Lord lets us be wrong for so long. We can give others the grace to be on their own path and to give them the space, you know, that sense of spaciousness. So for me, it was really important for me to, to, to identify that. It was key for me to identify the fact that really there is legitimate suffering, but that type of suffering really isn't where it's not healthy and it's not following Christ's plan. It's huge for me. It was absolutely huge for me to see that, you know, there's a way out of this suffering you don't even need to be there. You can follow him. And literally, I followed him out of that suffering. And I'm not saying that there won't be times that'll come to me that I'll go, you know, feel that twinge like I'm being pulled back in, you know, but I have a way out now. I have a way out to not have hurt feelings, but to be able to be a daughter of God and stand on holy ground and not be moved. And I think that when we can be neutral to another person, that there's nothing more powerful that's going to let them begin to reflect on themselves. Because if we're not getting sucked into our role of being the poor little thing that's going to cry and have hurt feelings, I'm only speaking about myself, I'm not speaking to anybody else. But if we can stand on holy ground and not be moved, we can do more for that person, mm-hmm. you know, besides just saving ourselves, we're doing more because they can then at that point begin to maybe reflect and wonder about themselves. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I love that. So as I was listening to Lisa and then reading Elle's, uh, Uh, quote there from Galatians 5 Uh, he came to set us free stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free I don't know all of a sudden it just like downloaded of like oh the woman with an issue of blood that story you know however many times however many interpretations that we give to it and stuff it's about intergenerational healing Um, if you look at the the Hebrew word for um, virtue, that virtue went out of me. It, it doesn't translate to virtue. That's just some English person that didn't really know, but it translates as energy or, um, uh, a, or an energetic exchange went out of him. But anyway, as you were talking and, and about, um, I can't even remember exactly what triggered it, but, um, the issue of blood blood is generations right and there was a there's the the symbolism the metaphor that you know she had the issue of blood for for 12 years but there's she was carrying intergenerational curses for so long and doc 
like doctors couldn't help her. They didn't know how to do that. And, you know, that's the story of everyone's life. As soon as you find something that, that a doctor can't solve, it's always going to be evil and unclean spirits. Just cast them out. But once that happens, and then she reaches out to Christ's priesthood, the hem of his garment where his priesthood resides, that energy went out and healed all the generations and, and pushed that back because she had already done all that she could do, but she needed that actual cleansing power. And so um, uh, with, with Elle's quote there with Galatians 5, that it, remembering all along our journeys that it's always Christ that, that heals, right? Uh, you know, we can, can learn the patterns and learn how to operate within the parameters of the law, but it's always Christ and his atonement that, like virtue, for, for lack of a better word, the energy comes out of him and through us, through our generations, and cleanses that so that there is no more residue, no more mark, no more uh, covenantal curse that we have to, to carry the burden of. But until we do our part and he does his, there isn't a complete healing that, that happens. And so sometimes we need to, to dive deep within ourselves and in our relationships with others, figure out what needs healing. But sometimes I find that this is probably one of the more common things is we forget to ask for the, the balm of Gilead or the atonement to actually be applied. Like we forget to reach out to the hem when we've done all of the footwork, but until we actually officially petition for that blessing to, to come and cleanse, sometimes that's all it takes. That's the only price left to be paid. And, and it is through Christ that all healing happens. He is the master healer and he wants to teach us how to do it but only as, as much as we're willing and able to, to accept that, that tutelage kind of thing. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Amen to that. He is our way, the way. Yeah. Cause you know, a lot of common things that I hear about energy work and energy healing and all that kind of stuff is, oh, you're trying to bypass the atonement or you're trying to circumvent the priesthood. And it's like, no, no, no. I'm trying to operate within it in its perfect way. Not, I, <laughs> we're all here learning and growing and, and learning how to access power from heaven, how to become perfect conduits and petitioners of that, that grace to come sweeping through our, our family lines, through our blood, through our generations, uh, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, children to the fathers, um, yeah, but I, I had never, like I got it, but I didn't get it until just barely with the woman with the issue of blood, like, oh, generational healing. Of course it is. That's the story. I, I don't know how many interpretations I've heard on that. And, you know, it's all a, a piece of the puzzle, but nothing's ever felt complete until that. And I'm like, oh, I, I think I finally get it. <laughs> you know, I've often wondered that we have a, hist a few histories of Christ visiting other countries, right? Yeah. And there's legends and lores of him going to Middle Eastern, not Middle Eastern, like um, Tibet and those kind of areas. But I often wondered if the whole 
healing of chakra and all of that was one of the things that he taught when he went to visit. Yeah, exactly. So like <laughs> going to, to Lance Richardson's stuff, right? Where mm -hmm. the Hopi Indians have their gifts and, and things and, and teachings, but they also know that the Tibetans have theirs, the Swiss have theirs, um, the Kikuyu tribe has theirs. So the black, white, red, and yellow, that those four have these four powerful things that all will come together at the end time in order to, to be able to heal. And so, yeah, like that chakra and meditation and, and lots of different things. Like, yes, there is Satan's counterfeit as with everything, right? But they have so much healing within some of their teachings, as well as the other four that will all come together and just build Zion in such a, a healing way. I'm, oh, I'm so looking forward to that. I also wondered when I was early in the 2000s and I was studying the word of wisdom and, and it says it was given to the weak and weakest of saints. And I was thinking about that. And then I started learning about Indian and Ayurvedic eating. And I thought, now that's a difficult way to eat. And I thought, I wonder if the Lord gave that to them. Yeah. It, they were more prepared. And I don't know. I just think there's things that I just wonder if there's things that he gave to other people that we weren't prepared for, or it was their place to bring it to the world. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying all of that is true. I'm just, you know, those ideas, the Ayurvedic and all, but I just wonder. Yeah. I love that. I wanted to tell you guys something I saw this morning. Uh, so, you know, about the human resonance and those frequencies, but some guys were out on the border wall and the border wall is actually a tuning device. Huh. <laughs> I was like, what? And they tested it and the, the resonance went right to that frequency. Interesting. The southern just, border wall? The border wall is made of these special alloy. Uh -huh. I'll try to find it. Because I, I was just looking through some random stuff. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? <laughs> That's something I never even thought to consider. <laughs> like, yeah, interesting. Yeah. I know all these pieces that are, they're just coming together so fast. Mm -hmm. My whole life is just flashing before me. All of this stuff has happened to me that uh -huh. you're talking about. Yeah. It's like once you start unlocking the pieces to the puzzle and everything, it comes from uh, Abraham, Father Abraham. As soon as you're ready to come to the Lord, he is like so anxious to unravel the mysteries of heaven to you. Like, you want to you want to know about me? Here's some stuff. <laughs> like, there's so much, but he's never going to just throw it at us when we're not ready or unable to to function within those things. And so, um, yeah, it, it's an amazing fire hose of information and feelings and emotion and healing and all that kind of stuff but as with the pattern because that's always the pattern right it comes with a price it comes with a decent phase in order to to actually propel forward to that that ascent and so i mean <laughs> it, it's an interesting ebb and flow of uh of learning and and floods of knowledge and trials and everything that go along with it Mm -hmm. just 
sorry um uh just as you're saying that that just it really hits me how you know talking about being ready to receive or like you know kind of what's involved in receiving and again it's just so in awe of what a merciful god we have because i i look at that and again before it's like my mindset was like i have to earn this i have to prove that i'm you know do check these boxes and then i'll earn that further light and knowledge but again it's just that like it's that you know as we turn our hearts in or anyways just recognizing that when we are ready for it then he will give it to us because it wouldn't be merciful to give it to us otherwise you know with if we're not ready it just it isn't in our best interest it isn't going to help us it would probably actually be more detrimental in our progression and growth and so anyways i'm just always in awe of everything he does is so merciful not just this you're good you're bad you're you know that kind of mindset Mm -hmm. yeah so like um you know we hear this all the time of oh if i could just see some signs if i could just see angels and i then i wouldn't have to you know doubt or worry like it would just be um so much easier but um like taking a look as far as like an isaiah perspective the lord must be going okay so you who are on the jacob israel level are not ready to handle seraphim level law yet so i'm not going to answer your prayer like you phrased it but i'm going to allow you time to work and and muddle through that and and come to me and ask different questions like if you're asking if i can help you learn the zion jerusalem level i will answer that every single time but I, I I can't quite, as a a benevolent God, answer your seraphim level petitions quite yet. I mean, I, when you're ready, I will, but but they're not in your best interest, like you were saying there. And so um, it's always this kind of push and pull of, oh, I, I want all of the blessings. I want to be translated, but then it's like, but am I ready to live that law yet? Probably not if I'm not receiving the answers. So it's it's kind of that what lack I yet, but it needs more study of like, okay, where am I? Show me where I'm at and show me what my next step is so that I can start living that and eventually progress up to the, the big petitions of, of what I'm wanting. Um, I think that, that that perspective finally distilled on me um this last year of i have just been praying way too far up the ladder for way too long and i felt disconnected from heaven he never answers my my petitions well he's answering them as best he can for the level that we're ready for but just just rephrase like i've learned how fast and quickly he can pour it out once we are within our clearance level (laughs) i don't know how best to say that but anyway i just want to this has been on my mind the whole time throw something out thanks for sharing that cameron because it i don't know um i've been reading about and i think my books are all downstairs 
um, about how Christ, after he was killed, well, we know that Jer um, Joseph of Arimathea was a tinsmith and worked in England and how Christ may have gone with him as a young boy in those missing years between 12 and 30. How when he was killed, his family ended up in Spain and France and England. Mm -hmm. um, I've just really been pondering about that. Um, I found a quote and that's, all, oh no, I have it. Here. No, it's downstairs. Um, Lorenzo Snow called a solemn assembly of the 12 apostles. And I think it, it was George Q. Cannon, and I can't remember who the other apostle was, wrote about it, but he taught them that they were of the bloodline of Christ and then said, go out and teach this to all the members. And um, I've been doing another study, but it, the first places, think about it, the first places that we sent missionaries were to England and the Scandinavian countries. Germany and France. Yeah. And I think that the early members of the church were the believing blood of Christ because they were descendants of Christ. And what does that say about us? Exactly. It was interesting in the, the temple yesterday. Um, I was in a ceiling session with another temple worker. And she was talking about like, oh, I was looking on family search and one of my lines goes back to Christ directly. And so like, should I call family search and get that corrected or, or whatever? Cause that's impossible. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how to tell you. I mean, if you want to be adopted some other way, I guess, but I mean, you're literally Christ's bloodline. I don't know how to break that to you <laughs> yeah i just i think we all are and you know and that when i started realizing that um it brought back home the whole thought of christ being our father yeah yeah, yeah. in both a, a spiritual and a physical sense right i mean uh -huh. yeah. yeah he's not just a spiritual father Anyway, I so, think that's, I think about it, that it would only be apropos for the bloodline of Christ to restore the gospel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so taking that in context with this chapter, right? Generational healing, like look at his atoning sacrifice mm -hmm. and how it can cleanse both front and forward and backward. And now some of it is, is up to us to to not perpetuate to hit heal cleanse sanctify along with his like he's inviting us to be saviors on mount zion in a very real sense um you know from our isaiah book club just barely and stuff talking about all of that but um i mean wow really you know <laughs> when we get after this life and get to see everything how it really is it's going to be quite amazing to to find out all of the the blessings and privileges that are ours and and the ones that we simply didn't grasp a hold of um in a timely manner i guess like our veils of unbelief were on for, for far too long at least mine but but once you can start 
having it revealed to you, start studying it in the scriptures, realizing that it's a thing, and then working toward that end. So fun. Like the gospel is is amazing. I don't see how <laughs> everybody else is falling off the, the planet here when the gospel works. It's true. It this is the restored time and the people that are going to help bring about the greatest work on on this planet earth it's very yeah. fitting that this chapter is in this book. it's not taking you a long time you're young <laughs> it's taking me forever it's taken like a whole year what are you talking about <laughs> i'm way older <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I mean, it, time is relative, right? Uh, arrival notes there. Also, that's a, that's a fun side topic. I think we're kind of wrapping up, but um, with time, how does time play into generational healing? Can, like, I don't know, without going full arrival, but... Um, <laughs> How do I pare this down for people that haven't watched it or spoiler alerts? But um, so as our future selves are way more advanced than we currently are, right? And as time is not linear, but circular, what part does that play in our current progression? You know, sometimes through therapy, we write notes to our younger selves and you know try to heal that way but is that a real principle are is our future selves helping us right now cleanse what needs cleansed and, and healing that which needs healed with greater power in the future than we currently can process ourselves and how does that affect the way that we approach it today I don't know if all of that's just mumbo gumbo. I'm trying to phrase it in good ways, but our future grasp of the language will help us currently affect great miracles in healing. If that, I don't know if that all makes sense. Sorry, that's like weird, <laughs> but anyway. There are keys of time to unlock and, and healing to happen. And the endowment is at the center point of that. It, it gives us four crucial keys that all work together for our good to unlock time as we presently know it. Time is just a construct of murder to get gain and entropy. But once we can transcend time, with those four keys, it, we're, we're finally unrestricted from some of the constraints that we currently place upon ourselves. Does that make sense? I don't know. You're, you're, you're moving in a translation direction. Yeah. I, that's where you're, you're moving. And I think that um, when we come into um, harmonic, if I can use that resonance with divine nature, we do step out of the time paradigm. And that's part of that whole 
it's part of what we're studying in all of our various groups. And uh, so I think, yeah, I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, that, that put it very so nice. Then, so then I just have been pondering the question, how do we step out of the murder to get gain? Through covenants, through covenant keeping on ever higher levels is, is what um, Todd talks about in, in his or whatever. Right. But how do you step out of the system? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you actually do it? How do you <laughs> like, actually do that? I get that? the principle, but how do you actually do it? Yeah, yeah, how do you do that? Because, you know, I and I may have told you this, in fifth grade, we were asked to write a paper. If we could change the world, what would we do? And mine was on, I would get rid of money. Like, I would get rid of it. It's what causes people class distinctions. It's what causes people to feel like they have power and it causes all, it's everything. That's what causes people to steal and to rob and all of that. I got a C on it. My teacher said that was the stupidest thing she'd ever heard of. <laughs> but I've pondered that over the years and I still stand by it. If I was going to change anything in the world, it would be, I would get rid of money. Who says the doctor and the lawyer is more valuable than the trash man? Because I've lived places where there is no trash collection. The trash collections, the trash in the backyard is this high with rats and mice and the trash man's just as important or more important. And I hate it, I hate it. Mm -hmm. And yet it's the economy of hell. We, and we're here in hell. Yeah. And how do you step out of that? Yeah. Exactly. I think a big key to that is the Elijah and the Elisha story of, okay, and, and don't misinterpret what, what I'm saying here, because I, there's, there's great points to this, but I, I'm going to play kind of like devil's advocate and say self-reliance is a tool of a lesser kingdom. If we are trying to be self-reliant, it's fine. It, it's greater than murder to get gain, but it's still not the heavenly. No, the heavenly one is to rely on heavenly father. And him only. And that's what the children of Israel were trying. I mean, what he was trying to do with the manna in, in the wilderness, right? And, and that's what Elijah and Elisha are doing and teaching the, the sons of the prophets quit relying on everything else don't be self-reliant self-reliance isn't going to save the zion jerusalem level if you want to rise up and be sun servants or seraphim you have to give up self-reliance and go strictly on reliance upon the lord you if if the lord knows that you need it he will provide it and and transcending that level but at the same time, like, I'm not there, obviously. <laughs> so you're saying, I get it, but how do you actually do it? And I've been on the same kind of journey these past couple of weeks asking the same question. And every time it's circled back to the Elijah and Elisha story, at least for me, that's what the Lord's teaching me. He's like, if you want that, you have a life-changing pattern. And, and here is the example. And... Um, you know, I, I think that that's a big part of the the book clubs, honestly, is, you know, like, <laughs> I've had a, a few people backlash at me, not backlash, 
but like expressing remorse like oh we're gonna be done with book clubs but i'm like i'm sorry i there's there's a transition happening that i don't know i'm trying to figure out what that looks like as far as my next step in relying more upon the lord rather than on the entropy uh, kind of thing. you're a witness because you've heard me say it. I think I just said it recently in book club that I believe that will repeat the early the early days of the church and then we will go and repeat the children of Israel learning to rely on the Lord for everything I have believed that for I don't know how many years that we will end up as the children of Israel just learning to rely on the Lord because mm -hmm. that's what we did in the pre-earth life and I think that we're not doing that here and we need to get back to learning how to rely on him which is funny because all the church you're hearing right now is self-reliance right mm -hmm. that lesser and lower law which so taking it to that level right because like obviously i'm not in discord with uh what the church is teaching but, no, but moses taught the lower law too yeah 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 so when like look at the the hezekiah story because i that's just everything i point to <laughs> so hezekiah sees death right at the door i mean they're going to attack and they're going to be decimated and he makes a covenant with god saying hey i have kept your law in its totality they have not but please through this covenant that i'm making transfer the law of justice upon me and let them live the lower law as long as they hearken to my words and I hearken to thee, let them be saved through my obedience kind of a thing. And so I think that the self-reliance program is exactly what the body of the church needs right now. It is a lesser lower law because they haven't been living even that. And so they're, they're, we're hearkening to that principle as he's hearkening to the Lord in that covenant relationship hopefully that makes sense but like i think president nelson is is full-on hezekiah story for us right now and that lower law is self-reliance that's what we're in the thick of right now but yeah. it's not the highest version of the law that we can live no it's not as we get closer to establishing the true zion and we're living consecration fully it that's how we will be living this you know i but have wanted for the last five years to live at least five years to live the law of consecration that mm -hmm. desire is just in there and we will be reliant on the lord but it, it's a process of learning how to allow that allow ourselves to allow that you know trusting and we need to trust in the lord yeah. that he will take care of us right i um i as i contemplate what all the comments that have been made i i think consecration is such a key part um when I, I think that consecration is huge, in fact, because what where we're at right now is we're probably living more in the sacrifice sort of place. Consecration is hugely, hugely different 
And perhaps there's a way to get there by peeling back layers, you know, as we find ways, fears that we need to overcome about relying on the Lord and depending on him. But when I was reading, Cam and that tripped the switch for me, when I was reading the Come Follow Me about Elisha and the sacrifice uh, in ritual form that he performed, where the Lord consumed the totality of the sacrifice, even licked up the water and consumed it. That really is what consecration is. To me, that became a visual image of being all in. That yourself, every notion of self-will, you know, whatever, is consumed in consecration. You are the Lord's at that point. So that, that come follow me lesson kind of became the image of consecration for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. It, it, very similar to, <laughs> to this last week with, with me. I was like, oh, it's finally kind of distilling <laughs> hit me over the head. Yeah, let's go L and then Malithia. Oh, well, you were talking about self-reliance and I don't think the church does a good job of defining that. We think it's relying on ourself. Mm-hmm. And I found a quote years ago and I'm trying to put something in the chat, but it's breaking it up in two sections. It's too long. And it came from when we did those, um, what were those classes? The, the emotional resilience and the finding a job and Going back to school, I can't think it's what the classes are called, but um, this is one that I found because I always had difficulty with the term self-reliance. It means, you know, being reliant on yourself and not God, but this, it does not have a quote of who said it. It just says a process by which we learn to turn to the Lord and receive his guidance, strength, and intervention as we get to work to meet our spiritual and temporal needs and challenges of life yeah i love that so and it's better than what the uh, i don't know that the church has a definition i'm going to post the what this art this thing that i had posted a long time ago on facebook um it's only half of it i'm trying to figure out where it cut it (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i'll put the rest of it yeah um but it's more than we think and maybe it is a stepping stone to consecration but it's we're supposed to learn to rely on the lord and but I don't think, the, like I said, the church does a good job of, of defining self-reliance or people just, you know, have their own interpretation of what they think the church's definition is. I'm just yeah. not sure what the like official sometimes definition the, is. The real thing and then whatever traditions or vocab right. that put on top yeah. of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm not sure people, they just assume they know what, what it means. And I don't know. And I just did some deep diving because it was it just it bothered me the definition that people came up with of what it was so Mm -hmm. i'll see if i can put the second half in here figure out where it chopped it up (laughs) yeah thank you yeah and then alethea did you have it's muted sorry yeah i thought my son was going to come in um i just wanted to say that um, going along with what Darlene said, that we have to learn to rely on the Lord 
for everything, I is there a part that we have to qualify? Like we can just say, I'm going to rely on the Lord and then do nothing, right? I think we have to qualify to re to receive from the Lord. Mm -hmm. yeah. Does that make sense? Like we can't just sit and wait for him to give us what we need. Oh yeah. Like we have to qualify. We have to qualify for what we want or need or for mm -hmm. what we ask for. And so finding what that process is for you personally and what that's predicated on is an interesting principle, right? Because, mm -hmm. I, you know, we've probably seen different examples of, of people who have somewhat done that of, oh, well, I'm just not going to work and I'll just live off of whatever the Lord gives kind of a thing. But and the church will take care of me. <laughs> yeah, the church will take care of me kind of thing, like living off of welfare. So there's Satan's counterfeit and then there's the real deal. And so what what is the difference and how does one qualify in that other realm in order to to be living the proper law kind of a thing and see i always i always think of alma the older and alma the younger when alma when alma the older prayed for alma the younger and he had that angel experience i don't think that happened just because alma prayed i think his dad alma the older did things to qualify to have that happen yeah. And I don't know if that's exactly what he asked for, because if you ask for something specific, you're putting limitations on the Lord. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, unless it's given through the spirit, you know, specifically, right. right? But yeah, put limiting the Lord is, is, uh, yeah. A big deal. And, but I think him praying for his son and receiving an answer to that, that turned his son's heart back was because his dad did the work, not because Alma. Then Alma did the work, right? Repenting mm -hmm. and having those three harrowing days. Yeah. But his dad did the work prior. And I think that's where we're at. We need to do the work to qualify for what we ask the Lord for rather mm -hmm. than just relying on him. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, Becky. As we're sorry, guys, I'm painting, so I'm here, but I'm yeah. Anyways, uh, as we've been talking, or as you guys have been talking about this, I think all of this really starts with um, rending our veil of unbelief, and you just need to ask Heavenly Father, like, what is it I need to do? Um, and it could be a sacrifice. It could be, you know, find out what it is. And then after that, he's going to open all these steps on how to help our children and how to help others. Um, but we can't do any of this if, if we've got these veils of unbelief. And, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of this and I don't know if there's there's got to be multiple veils, right? Like maybe you've got, I don't know, but it's when, when you ask the Lord um, what he wants you to do and you just do it, everything just starts to open and unfold. And so I think that's kind of the key here is 
rending that veil of unbelief. And if you guys haven't watched, I know you talked about it earlier, but that Todd McLaughlin Sisters of Liberty video, it was from either September or October of last year. The um, it was, yep, yep, the priesthood one. It was very instrumental in um, helping me with that process uh, for the first time. So anyways. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Good luck painting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, is there any other avenues or, or things that you'd like to kind of finish up on? This is <laughs> we went all over the gamut with this one. I, I love it. I mean, it was we had, we had probably one of the shortest chapters in the longest discussion. <laughs> yep. I love it. Um. I don't know if I can say this how I want to say it, but I think with, anyway, with my experience with uh, generational healing and doing Davidic covenants to help clear those, I find with the generations, if some part of our generation is still living like our parents or our grandparents and there's a problem there, rather than confronting them about something that, that doesn't seem to ever really work, at least what I've experienced. Yeah, but I've experienced it. Make it work. It's just work with the Lord and and he'll he'll direct you to the process which you need to follow and just work with him and you don't even have to involve them. You yeah. know, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Well, Alma the older didn't involve Alma the younger, right? <laughs> yeah, because again, it, it transcends time. You know, like uh -huh. what we're doing is is different, and in our very current time restriction and reality, sometimes that can do more damage than good. But if we can learn to unlock that and and work on an overarching umbrella versus just in the current minutes and hours of our days, kind of thing. And I happen to have a seraphim that is passed on in, in my family that helps me on a level and helps me reach down so that I can have the strength to, to do these Davidic covenants and stuff. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I think that's how the pattern works that um, it can call upon them to help you. Yeah, like if you don't know who's ministering to you, that might be your next step. Yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. Communicate with them, talk with them, counsel with them. <laughs> be like, all right, I don't see what you see for my life, so help me rend my veils of unbelief. Work with them on it. I knew that was one of the things that I was missing for a long time, but was that in this class or was that in the Isaiah class where I was talking about feral cats? Anyway, it's that feral Isaiah cat. class. <laughs> <laughs> Quit being the feral cat and just give in. Let your seraphim or sun servant or whoever's above you minister to you and be one with them. And chances are they've they've um, 
and covenants on your behalf themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And likewise, they have people above them that are covenanting on their behalf so that they can even work with you. Yeah. It's just this giant ministering ladder of love. <laughs> it, is, it is. That's a wonderful way to say it. I think okay. we start calling it the ladder of love. <laughs> I wish you would yep. talk more, Darlene. Every time you say things, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. Okay. You should be with her all the time. She, she's really <laughs> <quite> profound. <laughs> I'll just zoom in sometime. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll just have like a Truman Show camera in our room, and we'll just. <laughs> Speaking of zoom in and and words of wisdom. Did you ever say a time for the um, watch party? I haven't, no. So it's probably going to be delayed a little bit. I encourage everyone to go watch it, especially if you're on like Amazon Prime, you know, it's going to be going off here pretty soon. So if you want to go watch it there, but I don't have, I, it's probably not going to be this next week just because okay. of technology and I want to get something else figured out, but, but yeah. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to change the topic. Go ahead and go back to what you're saying, whoever was talking. Yeah, is there any kind of final thoughts to wrap us up? I have one. I have one. I've struggled to be able to say what I mean to say today. Um, But Elijah and his sacrifice, or was it Elisha that did the one that, I think it was Elijah that did the one where the flames lift everything up. Uh That is putting our all on on the altar. That's what I was trying to say when uh, consecration consumes is, you know, the consuming fire that, that licks up everything. It is when we're able and ready to place everything on the altar. Yeah, I love it. Which is the, the sacrifice of the red heifer. If you look into that, that's what that symbolizes. And that's what Elijah was doing, was sacrificing a red heifer. Yeah. We have two candidates for the red heifer. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it'll be a, a double portion. That would be interesting. That would be. All right. Well, it's been fun. <laughs> what can you study for next time? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. What do you guys want to study? Have you guys been reading the book? Have like do you have chapters that stand out to you? I love the seer stone one. Is that I think that's just right I've before this been one? Them all over and over. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get to the table of contents. Here's um, and some keys to the celestial glory. That does sound interesting. Oh um yeah. Seer stones and some keys to the celestial glories. About finding your own seer stones and, and all of that. Which number is that? 36. It's on page 439. It's the chapter before. Yeah, I think that sounds like a good one. I was just reading about um, the Liahona yesterday. Yeah. So, kind of interesting. Yeah, for sure. Kind of a seer stone, yeah? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, especially that chapter on seer stones and stuff, you'll see lots of different little stories of like 
really? And so it's like, okay, written my veil of unbelief. I mean, I'm accepting some weird stuff. But yeah, how how prevalent <coughs> deer stones are in the lives of all the faithful kind of a thing. I don't know how best to describe that, but um, figuring out what that, that means for you. I, you guys have all probably heard my story on uh, DNC8, but uh, anyway, lot, lots of fun stuff in that chapter. I mean, that would be my vote, but you know, I'm, I'm good with whatever. I like it. Okay. Anybody else? Take by unanimous vote. <laughs> so yeah, let's do chapter 36 for, for next time. Um, and just and then next week, you can tell us your story about DNC DC8 or 88. DNC8, right? Okay. It was eight. Tell us your story. Just a second. Is it DNC eight? I got. I'm gonna correct myself if I'm not. About your. Um, yeah, it is. Just a second, DNC eight. Have I not told you guys the story? I thought I did. Doesn't sound familiar. Oh, but then again, I have missed a few times. Tell us. <laughs> yeah, DNC eight. Boom. Powerful. Boom. It, it, it came from a dream that you got that led you there. Yeah. Remember? Yeah, dreams are powerful. Um, so next time would be what? August 20th? Ooh. Um I mean, we can't wait three weeks for your story. Oh that'll be an education week, yeah. Yeah, that's like that's like, going to be an exhausting day if I have to do that on that day. Um, Can we do it the next month? Uh-huh. Yeah, then it would be six weeks. <laughs> the story. Yeah, because I'm just looking the, the week before that's kind of crazy too. So, yeah. And the next week I may be in Brazil for our son's wedding. On the 27th one? Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, the 27th. They're doing their sealing on August 6th, and then she's from Brazil, so they're going to go do a ring ceremony for her family uh -huh. and do like a mock wedding kind of thing for her family. Gotcha. August is kind of busy with school and all that kind of stuff. Maybe we should just go to September. That's my vote. Okay. Yeah, so September 17th. Yeah. Which is an interesting day, calendar-wise. Why? Right? Is it Rosh Hashanah? Um, it's right of, in there. Before. Oh, the seventeenth of September. That is interesting. Is it Rosh Hashanah? No. Where is Rosh Hashanah? Just a second. Like the twenty-sixth. Just a second. Where is? See, my new computer, I need to set it up on my calendar thing again. Where'd that go? Um, anyway, it's smack dab in the Feast of Tabernacles. Yeah, that was my other. But the Day of Atonement this year actually falls on October 5th. But the, the week after that is the Feast of Tabernacles, which the, the height of Tabernacles is there on that Saturday. October 5th is my birthday. Oh, fun. Yeah, you, 
You got a special birthday most years. <laughs> David Toman imagery right there. You're going to have a second coming on your birthday. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, September 17th, chapter 36, right? 36. <clears throat> there's too much stuff to study all the time like I, I would tell you my story but it's going to take like a good hour <laughs> oh, you'll have to do you'll have to do a zoom recording for us all right well we will see you all when we see you some of you tomorrow for week, what are we at? Week four. Um, but if not, then, then on Wednesday. All right. It's been a, a whirlwind of a Saturday already. <laughs> Have a great week. Bye. 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 Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.